Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I mean, with all that's happened to us in 2020, and, and now even as we make our first four months into 2021, we, we've all come to realize what matters most. And the shaking of whatever our hope was tied to. You know, some people tied their hope to the economy. Some to the government, some to jobs, some to their school or their church. And everything got shook up. The followers of Jesus, that very first Easter, well, well, even before that, they were stuck. We can be stuck too. Now think about the followers of Jesus and Friday, Good Friday, and Jesus is dead. And it's Saturday, what we call the in-between time, the waiting. It was the Sabbath. Nothing really could be done on the Sabbath. But their minds were racing. Their hearts were broken. And Jesus crucified in 33 AD. And there were only about 120 committed followers of Jesus Christ that we know of. But today... 2.66 billion with a B out of the 8.19 billion people on the planet. That's one out of every three people that confess that they're followers of Jesus Christ. The Christian church is the largest organization on the planet, larger than, than China, larger than Europe, and larger than the United States. All three put together. How on earth did that happen? How did 12 little fishermen become 120 committed followers that became one out of every three people? I mean, how does that happen? What is it tied to? Where is our hope tied to? It must be tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died for all the sins of humankind and then proved that he was God by rising again three days later, just like he said he would. The resurrection, it changed everything. It's the single most important event in all of history. Now, there's resurrection and there's resuscitation. (laughs) It's amazing how many people have had their hearts stop and someone trained in CPR, some first responder, or whether it's a a fireman or a, a AMR ambulance driver or an EMT is able to lean down and resuscitate people. I mean, we have stories of people whose hearts have stopped for 20 plus minutes and they're resuscitated. But Jesus He's dead for three days in the grave with a large stone in front of it. There's no chance for resuscitation after three days. That is what we call dead. (laughs) That's what we call resurrection. It's Jesus coming back to life. And the resurrection is at the core of our beliefs as Christians. Without it, Our faith is meaningless. 
See, God loves us too much to leave us alone, to contend with our pain, our guilt, our shame, our loneliness. He also cares too much to leave us feeling hopeless. That's why I've prayed this prayer. God, give us a renewed hope. So what's your hope tied to? I began to think about what should I preach about on Easter? And the theme renewed hope came to me and I began to think about where is our renewed hope? Where does it come from? It comes from an understanding of the power of the resurrection and all the benefits of believing in Christ. Let me give you our first one, that we've been completely forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 says, in Christ we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. We've all done things that are sinful, disobedience to God. And when Jesus hung on the cross, we have to ask a question. Who put Jesus on the cross? And there's two answers. The the first one is God did. Now, Isaiah has written to us 700 years before Jesus was even born. And in Isaiah 53, verses 6 to 10, here's what he says. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and the sins of us all. You see, from prison and trial, they led Jesus away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins and suffering for their punishment? I mean, after all, he'd done no wrong. He'd never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. Then he was put in that rich man's grave. But it was God's plan that he should suffer. Yet, and, and when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children. Now, that's you and me. And the, the, the second answer is, we put him on the cross. We did it. For Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. We own it. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Notice that phrase. If Jesus just died and didn't rise again, we would not be able to be made right with God. We need the crucifixion and the resurrection. The second thing I want you to understand is this. Our hope is tied to the fact that we're no longer afraid to die. Now, I know you probably don't want to hear about death on Easter, but Jesus broke the power of death and also the fear of death. If there was no resurrection, there would not even be any hope for life after death. We wouldn't even be talking about it. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live, and I love this, again. Not a resuscitation, but a resurrection. And if Jesus Christ did not resurrect, then we have no way to conquer death, no hope in life. After the urn of ashes or the casket, we view death through the lens of Christ's resurrection. The grave brings sorrow for sure, 
but the grave could not hold Jesus. God loves to make things new. He, he wants our hope to be connected to the, the resurrection of Jesus. And nobody ever wants a season of hard times or challenges to come, but when they do, and they have, they have a way of making you stand back and ask, what am I really counting on? Disciples of Jesus are, are counting on fear to guide them. They're afraid and they're hiding and their fear leads them to believe they'll be the next to be crucified. How many of the followers of Jesus were at the tomb waiting for his resurrection? The answer is zero. I mean, there's, there's no one at the tomb believing that he's gonna rise. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Come on, Jesus. And the darkness fell and none of them were there. His friends scattered. All hope seemed lost. But heaven started counting. One day, two days, three days, and Christ rose again from the dead. You know, I hear people say it all the time. If God would just do one more thing for me, create just one more miracle, if he would just do one more, you fill in the blank, that I would believe in him. You know, after Mary goes to the tomb, she sees Jesus and he speaks to her and Jesus tells her, Mary, it is me. <laughs> what a miracle. Now go tell my brothers that I have risen. And she runs to the house where they are locked in for fear. Remember, fear of being crucified. And she speaks to them. And here's, here's, here's what these amazing men of faith did. They doubted her and said, Mary, you've either seen a ghost or you're having some kind of hallucination or it's just your deep grief talking. But if you saw someone that was just buried for three days earlier, how would you feel? Would it change your worldview? Would it change you? You think you'd ever forget that experience? Do you think it would change your belief about life after death? And so the disciples are now ready to take on Nero and the Roman Empire because they have now seen Jesus, not just heard the story. These people who were full of fear are now full of faith. What happened? They saw him and he changes everything. And now they have a courageous faith and a renewed hope. The words of Peter, 2 Peter 1.16 says, when we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were not telling just clever stories that someone invented, but we saw the greatness of Jesus with our own eyes. We saw him after he rose again from the dead. And Jesus walked around Jerusalem for 40 days after his death. Can you imagine being that soldier? A one of the soldiers who put Jesus to death. And as you're walking with your children through Jerusalem, you see Jesus walking around. Can you imagine being one who was gambling for his garments or hurling insults at him? And all of a sudden, there he is. Well, Acts 1-3 records for 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to people many times in many ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and they talked with him about the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, 
He was buried and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have died. But then he was seen by James and later on by all the apostles. And last of all, I saw him too. Now, could you imagine at this writing? It's a short list, by the way, that Paul gives us. But at this writing, many of those who saw Jesus were still alive. Could you imagine at the gatherings that they had together of worship services? Their church? Their church service where people are in the room. I saw Jesus. Did you see Jesus? Yeah, I just saw him. We talked with Jesus. We ate with Jesus. If they were fabricating this story, there's no way that people would collaborate with it. Now, what if I told you that I saw uh, Harry Styles, Beyonce, and Katy Perry hanging outside Starbucks on Ocean right before church this morning? (laughs) Would you believe me? But if over 500 people said that they saw Harry and Beyonce and Katy Perry and somebody said, yeah, we went golfing together or they came to my house last night or someone else said, yeah, I I took them on a ride out to Surf Beach. Then all of a sudden, the 500 becomes 900 people. And they said, yeah, we saw them at Starbucks. We we, we saw them at Surf Beach. We saw them at the golf course. (laughs) You'd start to begin to believe for sure, wouldn't you? You see, Jesus saw hundreds and hundreds of people during his 40 days in and around Jerusalem after he rose from the dead. Eyewitness after eyewitness. And within a few years, the church exploded. There were 30,000 Christians. And then it was half a million Christians. Why? Because of the resurrection. And because of this next point. Number three, we now have God's spirit inside of us just like they did. See, the Holy Spirit of God is is power and love and divine enablement. And the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I will send my Holy Spirit to you and he'll live inside of you. And after Jesus rises from the dead and before he goes back to heaven, he says in Acts 1.8, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will tell people everywhere about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You won't do anything without my power. And see, God wants to put his love and his power and his spirit inside you. And he wants you to have the power and the hope, the hope that comes from Christ because you were never meant to live your life and fulfill your purpose on your own. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It's the same mighty power that, catch this, raised Christ from the dead. And where does it live? Inside of you. He takes the power of the resurrection and puts it into people who lack hope. Think about the rumble of the resurrection that speaks into the silence of Saturday 
the stuck day, the in-between times, the waiting on God, and all of a sudden, the rumble, the shaking. If God's spirit can raise a dead savior, he can raise a dead marriage. He can raise you from the power of bad habits and hurts and hang-ups. It is the power to start over when you feel like giving up. It's a renewed hope. And here's another one about hope. And get ready. God will never stop loving us. I kind of want to take a breath there because it's so powerful that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. God will not ever let you go. And the big news of the Bible is not that you love God, but that God loves you. His thoughts of you outnumber the sands on the seashore. You never leave his mind. You never escape his sight or flee his thoughts. Let the thoughts of the hurt or the feelings that you don't have value and you don't matter, let those be flushed away. (laughs) Open the grave and allow Christ to come through. Allow dry bones to come to life. Hopelessness to be flooded by love and God loving you no matter what. You need not win his love. You already have it. He sees the worst of you and loves you still. He sees the sins of tomorrow and the failings of the future, and those will not surprise him. He sees them even now and every day and every deed of your life passes before his eyes and has been calculated in his decision to love you no matter what. He loves you still. No discovery will disillusion him. No rebellion will dissuade him. He loves you with an everlasting love. God's never failing love. God's ever, ever, ever lasting love. And that should renew our hope. Jeremiah 31.3, this is God speaking. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. And listen, you can't make God stop loving you. Woo, I'm excited about that. And we all know this verse, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When God's love fills you, there's no room for prejudice. There's no room for hatred. There's only room to care for others and to serve others, and fall more and more in love with God himself. Jesus said it best in John 13. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I hear people talking about our need for love, and I agree with them. But you know where love starts? It starts in the heart of God and his heart then poured into our hearts. It gives us the fuel and the power and the passion to love others. You want to have a renewed hope? Get a fresh encounter with the love of God. Get a a fresh glimpse of Jesus dying for your sins on the cross. (laughs) In the Bible, Paul was a religious terrorist. He had Christians killed, and he's on the way to Damascus. He's on the road to persecute and execute more Christians. And Jesus came to him in love. 
in love. And it's this Paul that writes the greatest words on love that were ever penned. No doubt you know 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's read at weddings all over the world almost every day. And let me just share a few of the words with you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul encounters Jesus, who could have easily crushed him like a bug, who could have easily ended his life. And simply says, Paul, and at that time his name was Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And somehow the love of Christ impacts Saul and he becomes Paul and he writes about his love experience that he had with Jesus himself. And the fifth thing is, we have hope because we have an eternal home waiting for us. Now, you may wonder what this has to do with Easter and a renewed hope. The answer, everything. Our biggest enemy is not economy. Our biggest enemy is not pandemic. Our biggest enemy is not political. Our biggest enemy is death itself. When you know where you're going and who you're going to be with, what can pull you in a downward sense of, of despair? We have an amazing future, an eternity. And some of you need to know that nothing is too hard for our God. If he could cause Christ to resurrect, not resuscitate, on the third day, if he could take your sins and totally, totally wipe them out and take your life and make it whiter than the snow, there is nothing that he can't do. Just ask the stone that was rolled away. Just ask the guards who were placed at the tomb when the earth shook. Don't forget who we are in Christ and what he's done for each of us who believe. Now, if you go to a sporting event or watch one and you know the score at the end of the game, you don't worry about a fumble. You don't worry about a strikeout. You don't worry about some ball that goes over the fence. You don't worry about a puck that goes into the net or a ball that goes into the net because you know the outcome of the game. You know your team's going to win, and that gives you hope regardless of what's on the scoreboard. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.4, we've been born into a new life which has an inheritance that can't be destroyed or corrupted and can't fade away. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's the end of the game. If you love Christ, well, Paul the apostle said it this way, that if you love Christ, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you may see and understand the hope 
to which God has called you. We have been called to hope. And when hope has been minimized, we've been called to a renewed hope. You know, it's easy to miss the power of the resurrection. Just like it's easy to miss all who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But as the old song says, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Our history ends with the cross and our future begins with the resurrection. That's so good, I want to say it again. Our our history ends with the cross and our future begins with the resurrection. An empty cross and an empty tomb both declare the message. Hope. Hope is real. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And when Christ was laid in the tomb, every hopeless circumstance was buried with him. Allow that to be yours today. And today, have faith in the one who overcame the grave for you. You see, hope is not wishful thinking, but an assurance. It's not a feeling, but a fact. It's real. Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because he wanted to provide you with a way to heaven for your sins to be forgiven, for you to have abundant life while you're here on planet Earth. Why would he die for you? Why would he die for you if he didn't need to do so? Why would you allow life to have greater power than Jesus himself? And before Jesus went back to heaven, he told his followers, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus then said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. I'm betting my life on Jesus Christ and that he is the truth and not a liar. What are you betting your life on? What are you hoping for today? Well, my prayer is that God will open your eyes to the truth of who Jesus is, who died for you so your sins could be forgiven, who rose again from the dead so that same power could live inside of you, that heaven could have a reserved seat just for you. So God, open our eyes today. Give us hope in you. Help us to see the truth that lives inside of you and that lives inside of us by faith. And we welcome you as our Savior. We welcome you as our Lord. And dear ones, if you've never allowed Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, this is the day to declare it. Lord, I open my life to you. And here's a prayer for you. It's not long. Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus, I give you my life. And may you place inside of me, may you place inside of all of us, the hope that's greater than every situation and every circumstance and every headline. The hope is that Jesus is alive. He lives And if you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. May he live within your heart too. God bless you. Happy, glorious Easter. He's risen. He's risen indeed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.